Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the first official episode of the Elasmos podcast, where I, your host, Sam McNeely, will be talking with wonderful people to explore the beauty and grace that are sharks and skates. And of course, stingrays and sawfishes, but that didn't go with the rhyme, so... Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you haven't already listened, go back and listen to episode zero, where I explain why I'm even doing this podcast in the first place and where I introduce a little bit more about myself. But you'll learn more about me all along the way. So enjoy the ride. And so before we get started, I just want to shout out where you can follow this podcast. You can follow it on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. And that's spelled E-L-A-S-M-O-S-P-O-D. And you can email us at elasmospod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page called The Elasmos Podcast, A Shark's Universe. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash elasmospod. And it really means a lot that you show your support through giving. It allows me to spend more time getting world-class research and knowledge straight to your ears so that you and I can both learn more about these wonderful animals and how they are vital to our planet. So that's patreon.com slash elasmospod. Thank you so much for all your support. And my brother and I are also working on a website and hopefully a YouTube channel as well for another streaming platform because I'm working on getting this podcast to all possible streaming platforms. So if you can't find it yet, just wait. I'll hopefully get it to every platform soon enough. And lastly, before we get to this week's episode, please rate and review to help this podcast gain traction, get noticed by others, especially people that aren't particularly into sharks. I want people that love sharks to listen, but I want other people to learn how great sharks are. And then also to encourage shark scientists and enthusiasts to be on the show to share their research and their knowledge with other people like you and me. And there will be a prize if you do rate and review, so a little incentive for ya. Okay, now on to the first ever episode of the Elasmos Podcast. So today, we've got a banger of an episode with two guests, actually, which probably won't happen all that much, but why not start the first episode out hot? And so these two guests are the creators of Under the Sea Art, and the first guest is Miriam, and she has a Bachelor's of Science in Biological Sciences from Konstanz University in Germany, and then she did her Master's of Science in Marine Biology at Stockholm University in Sweden. And then our second guest, Greg, studied sports and exercise science at Exeter University in the UK. So we covered about everything you can imagine. We talked about our best dive stories, what it's like to swim with nearly 100 sharks at the same time, how Miriam started on her art venture, our favorite pieces of art that she's done and their impact, their children's book idea, And then lastly, why Miriam wishes she were an orca and Greg wishes he were an octopus. Welcome to episode one. My name is Miriam. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Greg. So I met Miriam and Greg through the wonderful Zoom world that we all know and love. And Greg was wearing a shirt that said Sharkaholic with a bunch of different types of sharks on it. So fantastic first impression on me. He's amazing. The coolest dude ever. But so I just wanted to get an idea of their background in science before we dove <laughs> headfirst into the conversation. Yeah, so I, because I'm from Germany and I wanted to study in Germany, at least for my undergrad, I had to look at different opportunities because you can't actually study marine biology as an undergrad in Germany, which is it's really sad because it makes you feel like you have to do something else first before you can then specialize in marine biology. So I did biological sciences, so a lot of math, physics, chemistry, everything <laughs> I didn't actually want to do <laughs> apart from biology um, for three years straight, which was, it was really, really tough, a lot of work. Um, but it was a good first thing to have because um, you do learn a lot in all these other scientific subjects, obviously. Mm. And then I did, I did a year just um, abroad and worked in a different few volunteering organizations and I started diving in Mozambique. So I, I did my diving, yeah, my first diving degree, I guess, um, certification in Mozambique in Tofu, which is actually also where we met a few years later. <laughs> so just if you're geographically illiterate, like I am, Mozambique is a country on the southeastern African continent. And Tofu is just a big city that has a lot of tourist attractions for ecotourism, like diving to see the sardine run for humpback whales, for sharks, for big manta ray migrations. It's just a great all-in-one location for big megafauna or large marine organisms. Oh, and what a love story for the ages. Can't get enough. I'm not crying, you're crying. Yeah, but so that was like the first um, step into the marine world and I just was captivated by it and I just realized I didn't want to do anything else. So I, yeah, I just tried to do everything into getting into marine biology afterwards. So I did my master's in marine biology in Sweden. Mm. Not a lot of people think of Sweden when it comes to marine <laughs> biology. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was looking for a master's that I could do for free because a lot of universities obviously charge a lot of money. But um, mm. yeah, luckily in Sweden, you don't have to pay any study fees. So oh, wow. I did that for two years and yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> and I, well, my story is much quicker because um, I'm not in marine <laughs> science officially. Um, I have a degree in, in sport and exercise science, so very much unrelated. But after a few, I, I'd always grown up absolutely loving wildlife and the marine world, even though you know, I wasn't a diver at a young age or anything. But then after university, I sort of went traveling for a bit and, and fell in love with diving then. And after a few years of working in, in London as a personal trainer, I, I sort of decided I wanted to just be diving and be more involved in, in nature and the marine world. So that's when I left London, left my job here and, and went to become a dive instructor. And then sort of my involvement in sort of the conservation and even the science side of things has just sort of developed since I've been yeah, qualified as a dive instructor and then been with Miriam where I've been more involved in the science or at least helping. I'm just a dive master. So just a dive master. Just you are, you a, are dive a dive master. master. That's still a professional qualification. Yeah. Yeah, it's less like instructing, obviously, unless you want to be a, an actual instructor and teach diving, then a dive master is usually sort of what you need to do 
most other jobs in in the marine world like sort of research yeah. if you've got mm. a dive master it's it's sort of significant enough if you do um, want to do field studies um underwater then or even above water on a boat um quite often organizations ask for you to have a dive master at least yeah mm. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the different levels of certifications for diving, there are multiple levels starting at like open water or advanced open water that lead into different certifications for diving, like rescue diver, where you learn to rescue people, which then can lead into dive master, which is kind of like an apprentice to a diving instructor, which is like the next level. And so for Miriam to be a dive master, she has to be rescue diver certified, as well as having logged over 40 dives, which is a big time commitment, but it's a valuable asset to your resume. Okay, so now for the big question that we've all been waiting for, that I've been waiting for, is what is it like diving with megafauna? I'm thankful that I've gone on, been able to go on a few dives myself, but they've only been in quarries and there's been like, I don't know, some like bass that are maybe like a foot, two feet long. But what's it like diving with something that's many times your size? That's, I feel like I would just lose my breath and just be frozen, which seems like the exact opposite thing you want when you're underwater. <laughs> Usually the exact opposite happens because you're just, you're just so captivated by that moment that you forget everything around you. Sometimes you need to watch where you are in the water column yeah. so you don't go up or go down with the animal. That's, that's quite an important bit that you don't... Yeah, you get distracted yeah. from all diving technique really yeah. when you see the amazing stuff, but it's it's... It's such a special moment when you see the big megafauna underwater because, you know, it's mm. you know, just fish in general are just so much bigger or well, things get so much <laughs> bigger in the ocean than they do on land. So, you know, the, the big fish and then you've obviously got, you know, if you're lucky enough to see whales or whale sharks underwater, they, they are just absolutely massive. You know, mm. nothing compares to it on land. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, it's it's incredibly calming though, you know, everything's so it's it's sort of quiet underwater but also noisy so you hear all the really fine details if you're on a reef for example but then when like the big stuff comes past it's it's it feels so peaceful and so quiet and all all these animals in the water move so gracefully compared to humans um it's just yeah we we splash around and and use a lot of effort just to move a small distance these whether it's a shark or whale that they move with such speed, but such grace and beauty. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a special experience every time, even if it's your hundredth time, it's still, like you said, it does take your breath away, um, but in a really relaxing or struck sort of way. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Okay, so that's encouraging. Well, what's the craziest thing you've seen while diving? I had a very, very short glimpse on a tiger shark, which will probably forever be <laughs> one of the most... What? amazing situations we were both on a shark dive in also in mozambique in a different town but um we were on a shark dive we had so many other sharks black tips bull sharks yeah but then i just had the short glimpse on a tiger shark and i just i just said to greg oh my god there's a like not said but (laughs) symbol yeah tiger shark over there and he turned around it was gone gone like it was it just shows you how you know, those sharks are just... They're shy. Yeah, they're, really they're shy. so shy. You're really lucky when you get mm. a close look at one. So mm. that's definitely, yeah, one of those moments that yeah, will forever be yeah, with me. Yeah. I think for me, 
I was lucky enough in, in Tofu, uh, was I an instructor by then? I think I was still training to be an instructor maybe. Um, I had a pod of around six humpback whales swim past on a dive, which was... Wow. I feel so jealous. Just, that yeah, it was just... Absolutely crazy. Unreal. Uh, you know, we had this baby, we were just coming up to the surface slowly, as you do, and we were just for our safety stop, and this, this baby humpback, we could, we during the dive, we'd heard the humpback song the whole dive, which is pretty much happens sort of all month through it, or wow. all sort of four months of the whale season. Whenever you go on a dive in Tofu, you will hear whale song. You'll unlikely see any whales, but we'd been hearing this really loud whale song all dive, and then this little baby sort of just came out of the blue swimming towards us, and then sort of saw us and darted off and everyone was just in shock and like celebrating already. And then suddenly this baby came back past with, I, th- I think it was, yeah, maybe four adults and then one other baby or something like that around <laughs> six. And they just came past us. Um, and it's just incredible because again, it's, they're just silent. They're just completely silent. And if you weren't looking, you know, that happened to me, that happened to me one time. I was, oh, yeah, when I was working as a dive master, I was sweeping. So I was behind the group. So at the end of the group, and you're just taking care that, you know, we're not losing anyone. Um, An important job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the front of the group was quite much further ahead, and we were quite sort of on the back, and we were trying to catch up. And all of a sudden, we just, we catched up with the first part of the group, and they were all cheering, and they all said, yeah, we, we just saw a whale. And we were at the back of the group, and we were so annoyed because we had missed <laughs> this massive humpback whale it's you know you hear them all the time they sound so close throughout Mm. the whole dive but it's very rare that you see them but it just shows you how you can miss a 20 meter animal (laughs) just even if you're just 10 meters away from from the other part of the group it's just crazy Mm. yeah that really is crazy that i mean you can be so close but also so far especially from something that big have y'all ever had any like too close for comfort encounters with any of these large animals yeah yeah i've, I've had yeah. i've had one experience i think uh i was on the sardine run in south africa um which is obviously a huge amount of of sort of marine life gathers um on the coast of south africa and you can get in the water with whales quite often because they're the humpbacks are migrating up that that coast and i did have a bit of a closer encounter where the whale was sort of below me and this was just snorkeling not not scuba diving but the whale was below me but relatively shallow and you know seeing its tail come up relatively close to me if you got hit by any part of this whale you it will do some serious damage because you know their pectoral Mm. fin is you know twice the length of of my body and that's just one fin yeah they're incredible when they come too close and then you sort of go oh my god this is quite scary now this is a big animal (laughs) but they're they're so intelligent and they they you know, accidents happen so rarely because they're so aware of of people and, yeah. you know, things around them. And they're incredibly dexterous. I don't know if that's the right word, but they know where their body parts are and they don't, you know, they don't hit people by accident very often at all. It's strange, isn't it, that we humans, you know, a lot smaller than a whale, are like always running into things, bumping into stuff. I mean, we're always talking about like how many bruises we get, you know, it's... It's kind of crazy how clumsy we are, and yet these large whales that are like, I don't know, 10 times our size, maybe not that big, probably close, but they don't come anywhere close to hitting us. They're like super aware, they're so spatially aware, which seems like we aren't, which is wild. It's, that's, that's just crazy. 
Maybe I should be doing a podcast on human clumsiness. Nope, nope, nope. Already started sharks. It's too late. Can't switch now. Alright, so Miriam, this might sound like a stupid question, but you know, I don't care. I'm here to learn. How much has diving had an influence on your artwork, do you think? Um, probably quite a lot. I mean, obviously I dived first and then later on I discovered sort of my talent for art. So it was it was completely clear that all that I was going to paint was <laughs> underwater because it, that's yeah. my life. That's our life. Mm, and yeah. um, that's where all our passion lies. So that was immediately clear. And then obviously from then on, yeah, yeah. It wasn't really an option, was it? No. it was like, you can paint, therefore you're going to paint marine animals. So. Exactly. <laughs> Simple. I mean, yeah, I can definitely relate. I mean, going back to my first dive or even my first snorkel, like just seeing everything underwater for the first time was just like such an incredible experience that like hasn't even, it's, it hasn't left me and it's kept me going. It's one of the reasons why I decided to pursue marine biology yeah and most people are like that most people that have a good um first experience in the water and they see some lovely fish or you know even the tiniest fish (laughs) they are so happy with it and they they just want to go back in very rarely you have obviously people that are intimidated by it or just don't feel natural in it but yeah, yeah, I you, just think you very regularly, you know, and that's one of the nicest things of being a, a dive instructor or a dive master is mm. every day you you come back with people who just say, "Oh my god, that was the best thing of my life," or "Oh my god, I want to do this every day," or just mm. you know, it's so nice to to introduce that to people, especially yeah. as an instructor yeah. when you're literally you're teaching people their first ever dives. They're like, my God, this is like the best thing I've ever done. And it's sort of, <laughs> and you get to be there and introduce to them. So that's, you know, that's one of the perks of being an instructor is you get to introduce them to one of the best things in their life. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a privilege and an honor to, to be able to introduce people to that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's quite funny when, when we lead dives or ocean safaris or something. And I, I always come back and I always have to pace myself that I'm not, you know, completely crazy about what we just saw because i'm supposed to be the professional and keep it you know low-key and yeah that was a great dive people get well done but actually inside i'm like oh my god that was the best dive ever and, and you don't hold it back anyway i don't really hold it back now to be honest oh don't worry i definitely wouldn't be able to hold it back so i think i'll just go on the dives i won't work on the dives because i wouldn't maintain professionalism whatsoever <laughs> yeah just be on the dives and then you get to enjoy uh, it all it all comes with practice <laughs> the mm. more you see the more you can control, control it. it it's actually a lie you can't <laughs> <laughs> so is under the sea art essentially your quarantine baby yeah totally <laughs> yeah so it's only really started a few months ago um actually yeah this year even because well yeah, yeah so Last year, obviously, I finished my master's thesis in October. October 2020, not 2021. And then we had a full month of lockdown in November. So for my sort of uh, graduation present, Greg's sister, Sam, she bought me uh, a whole painting set. And that only actually happened because I painted with Greg's niece so her daughter Mm. um she's like yeah she back then she was two years old and 
yeah, we were just painting together on like a an easel. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I was just painting along, and then those two guys they were just like, "Oh my god, you actually can paint!" <laughs> so uh, yeah, and I was like, "Well, I don't really, I can't really paint. I mean, it looks alright, but then because she gave me this painting set, all I did during lockdown was painting, mm. and I was just like." you know what, why don't we do something with that? Um, yeah, well, it was yeah. also because we kept telling you, you're really good <laughs> yeah. for having literally just started painting or not painted for 15 years, and then you come out with some More of the paintings. I'm well, almost 30. <laughs> yeah, all right, 20 years. And to come out with some of the paintings that you did, we were like, you know, you have to do something with this because it's, it's incredible. Yeah, so um, cute. And you did. <laughs> Well, congratulations on finishing your master's. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of work, obviously, a whole year of thesis and research and um, sweat. <laughs> but yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> and so what was your thesis about? Um, so I worked in South Africa, um, where we both worked, actually, um, on movements of pregnant regatus sharks that move around the coastline of South Africa um, for their breeding migration. So at first I wasn't sure what a ragged tooth shark was, but then I looked it up and it's just another common name for the sand tiger shark, which is a shark that's really popular off of my coast of North Carolina. And so this is why common names are kind of difficult to use because just all over the world, people call them different things. And so the scientific name, in case you're wanting a fun fact for your next dinner party, the scientific name of the ragged tooth or the sand tiger shark is Carcarius taurus. I wonder if they're all tauruses. I'm not good at zodiac stuff, so all I know is I'm a Scorpio, and apparently people hate Scorpios. Don't hate the player, hate the game. It was, uh, it was a really big study. <laughs> it was yeah. a really cool study, and we were free diving, free diving with these sharks every day to to monitor which sharks were there, so we we're taking photo IDs of them. So we were free diving for what? four months about mm. every day that we could do weather permitting um spending a few hours in the water with up to sometimes zero sharks <laughs> um <laughs> but then i think what was the highest we had one day we had about 60 sharks seven well actually yeah 75 78 75 um, sharks all all around us in in the you know maybe a 50 meters by 50 meters those days yeah. were really special 75 sharks? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so did you have to, like, ID all the sharks and then give them names? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So I gave every shark a specific name. Um, and we had, well, in the end, a minimum of over 370 sharks. So it was a lot of identification work. <laughs> um, and everything you do to identify these sharks is manually. So there isn't a setup program that you can use that just automatically um, tells you which shark it is. There is programs that can help you do it, but eventually you still need to do it manually. So it's a lot of time on the computer as well. <laughs> so I know some sharks can be identified based on their like counter shading pattern, the darker dorsal half and then the lighter ventral or belly half. And then like the little jagged pattern in between separating the two colors and so is that how you identify these sharks? Not most sharks. Obviously, different sharks have different patterns. So the reggies. Okay, that's it. Best common name yet. The reggies. That's a winner. 
The regis they have spot patterns, so different spots on this on the side of the body. So mm -hmm. you can use those to identify them. The same with whale sharks or zebra sharks, you can use spots. Mm -hmm. For reef sharks, they use like the, the dorsal fin, the markings on the reef sharks or it's just so cool that we can do that, that we yeah. can identify it. Yeah, and getting getting to the end of the study, Miriam was able to to you know name certain sharks that she saw underwater so she'd dive down and come up and say well, i don't even remember the names of them are oh there? i just saw Nucky. Nucky, Nucky's down there oh, that's really cool and blondie or you know all the different names you know not all not all five three hundred of them but no. but you started being able to actually visually yeah. identify some of the individuals which is really yeah. really cool yeah because we had sort of resident ones that used to stay around for longer time periods than other sharks so mm. That was quite interesting to see as well, that they sort of have patterns, that they prefer some reefs over other reefs. I think that would be my favorite part of all of this, is getting to see the same shark twice. I think that would be awesome. It'd be like seeing an old friend. Exactly, yeah. The coolest thing is actually when you see the same shark in different areas. So when you see, oh, I've seen that one on this reef a month ago, but now it's like 50 kilometers further south. Uh, on a different roof that's that's just so cool to know where they have traveled and mm. how long it took them and stuff and i think one of the one of the best findings from your study was that there's relatively good evidence that they actually may travel in these sort of well family or friend groups but that they seem to have some sort of pattern with traveling in groups not exactly but but your data yeah i mean that was it was it was mm. just the first try on on these sharks no one has ever done that before so it's sort of an assumption that may be correct or may not be but definitely mm -hmm. i saw patterns which is really really interesting so would be yeah it's such a cool thing yeah. if you think about it they might have friends or sort of you know, <laughs> what we think of as friends but yeah, obviously a social group yeah <laughs> okay how adorable is that that these sharks might have friend groups or at the very least social groups which come on if you're hanging with the same sharks, they're not they're not enemies. It's like I hang out with the same people. I don't hang out with them because I hate them. I hang out with them because they're my friends. Of course, they're friend groups. Come on, they're not social groups. That's just disrespectful. Okay, and so I love talking about all this too. And hopefully we can eventually do an episode, maybe multiple episodes, with both Greg and Mary and just talk forever. But... I don't want to get too sidetracked because we're here to talk about under-the-sea art. And so, what is the main goal of their art project? Let's find out. The main goal is is really to make more people fall in love with what we love so much because it's such a new tool for me and I, I honestly just start to realize how many more people I can actually reach with my art as compared mm. to with my signs. <laughs> it's mm. quite... <laughs> It's, it's making me, ha making me happy, but equally a little bit sad because people seem to be more excited by my art than by my shark diving stories or, mm. you know, just because I come from a very landlocked area. So people there aren't really, they don't really have a connection to the sea, but mm. art is such a universal language. So everyone understands it. So you don't need data. You don't need numbers. You don't need, you know, percentages or anything to explain something, but you can just use the art and people immediately understand it. So even if they don't have anything to do with the topic of shark finning, if they see a picture that shows that issue and depicts it well, then that can really lead to other people actually thinking more about it and wanting to know more about it. So that's sort of 
yeah, one of our main goals is, is to create awareness and, and yeah, spread the word that our oceans are actually in big trouble and that yeah exactly you know increasing the love for the oceans but also like you said awareness of of what's going on and, and the reality yeah. of of the oceans are in peril at the moment yeah um and it's yeah it's a fine balance between you know just being depressing and constantly having negative and that's where i think art's brilliant because art is almost always quite uplifting and beautiful mm. but you know you can you can inspire people to make changes or to do their own research while still doing beautiful art, which you'll do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So your business is labeled as an eco-business. And asking for a friend, as simple as you can, can you explain what an eco-business is? You know, not for me, for, for a friend, of course. I think for, for us anyway, you know, it's it's more than just doing the, the awareness stuff which we we're talking about in terms of directly the art but also making sure our own impact is as small as it can be you know especially when it comes to a business like ours which has you know material products obviously we want to make sure that those material products have as as smaller impact um as they can do which which makes it harder for sure like there's times where both of us just we're like, oh, we wish we didn't care so much about the damn planet because it's <laughs> it makes everything so much it's harder. Exhausting. Oh God, my mind is going a mile an hour. That fast. Oh. Trying to find a a printer and you know a supplier to send out our artwork that isn't that is eco friendly that prints using good ink that uses recycled paper or we use bamboo paper. Um, they don't use plastic, you know, all these things, you know, it takes time to find them. They're usually much smaller and much less sort of established than big companies. And also they're more expensive as well. So, you know, we cut into our profits when we make sure that we have, you know, the, the specialist bamboo paper with a specialist company and, and we're sending it without plastic and things like that. So there's a lot of effort and t- time and money that goes into having to be an eco um, business but I think it's it's so important and we're mm-hmm. so proud to be an eco-business and I think that the people who want to buy from us understand that you know our products have to be more expensive because we have to you know get you know we're we're having to pay more to to get them printed or to do all the other things which I think most people understand now there is a green premium at the moment and hopefully over time as as green economy starts growing you know, those those green premiums will come down and things will cost the same as the damaging products, which is when we're going to start seeing sort of a real boost in, in green economy and green manufacturing and all that sort of area. That's really amazing. I mean, that, that takes a lot of courage to acknowledge that you have to make some compromises to establish a sustainable product. And so that that's really admirable to see that you guys are willing to take pay cuts and really just compromise on more logistics for a more sustainable economy yeah 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 yeah. thank you (laughs) thank you so much that's very kind oh yeah absolutely i mean i think i think it's something that can inspire other companies to do the same it's it's a great start and we've got to start somewhere and i'm really glad that there are people like you willing to take those risks for a more sustainable world and so do you see this art project as continuing on to be part of your career somehow? Or do you see this more of just as a hobby? For me, now that I discovered art, it's definitely something that I want to keep doing forever. Like I can't even, like every day I go to bed and I haven't painted. I'm like, oh, tomorrow I really want to get back to painting. <laughs> so 
yeah, it's going to be interesting <laughs> when and if I go back to research um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how much I will miss my art and if I'm still going to be able to do some on the side. But it's definitely a plan that, yeah, I'm not going to mm. stop it. Yeah, I think, you know, while it grows at the moment, it's well, it's sort of part time, but it's also full time because we don't have <laughs> uh, you know another full time right. job. But I think, yeah, as it grows, it's definitely always going to be at least a a string to our bow that mm. Miriam will, will do this painting because obviously because we can have suppliers based in the UK and everything can be digital mm-hmm. in terms of us sending stuff to suppliers. You know, we can do it from anywhere around the world, which is really useful. Um, so I think that will always play a a role in our lifestyle from from now on. I also I sort of have Ginge Under the Sea is is my sort of brand, I guess my my name, where I sort of focus more on on the education side of things. So I've given talks to a number of different schools on shark conservation, and I sort of just post about about the oceans and sharks as well. So sort of a combination of that. Mm-hmm. If if that grows together with with the art then that can definitely be our full-time job in the future we definitely want to be directly involved in the ocean in terms of we want to be able to go and and dive every day or free dive or just sort of be on the ocean every day Mm. um but definitely the things that we have been building up over lockdown i definitely think can be a will be a large part of our lifestyle for the future because it's it's what we're most Mm. passionate about yeah Mm through through the art i now have such a new way of actually connecting to the ocean so i don't even mind that much that i'm not actually in the sea at the moment i do mind i do mind <laughs> i do want to go back to the ocean <laughs> but it's it's just helping just you made it a little bit it easier. definitely made it much easier yeah oh yeah absolutely and now do you have a favorite piece that you've done yeah you know what it's it's really hard um i think I think for me, the orca piece was probably the first one I did that was in a more realistic sort of style and that I gave as a present to Sam's sister, which obviously is the reason why I started. Sam's sister? Sam's sister, Greg's sister. (laughs) Greg's sister, Sam. (laughs) Which is obviously the reason why I started uh, painting after all. So that sort of has like the most meaning to me, I guess. Mm. What's what's yours? I think I was going to say hump. I think the humpback is my favorite now it's just so beautiful but I, i've now sort of changed my mind actually the, the thresher shark was like the one of the first ones you did do that i just thought was so accurate like i just couldn't believe it wasn't a photo and i thought oh my god this is so good like that the humpback whales came shortly after that and i, I was just <laughs> as impressed by them but i just thought you know how I, I didn't even understand how she could make a painting look so much like a photo i was just completely confused Oh my gosh, I know. It's incredible how realistic they are. I mean, they they really just come to life, kind of like a Bob Ross painting. It just like, it it feels like you're there with Aww, them. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Making me blush. Good, yeah. It's it's really amazing, and you should really be proud of it. I, I think my favorite piece that you've done is the Oceanics piece that has the three different sharks, the Thresher shark, the Oceanic white tip, and then the blue shark. And so I was wondering, are, are those sharks like traditionally known as oceanic species or, or how'd you come up with that name and those three sharks? Yeah, I think, well, it's sort of coincidence that you painted a few of them. You painted like the thresher and the oceanic white tip. They're like really iconic species. And I think then we realized they were two, as you said, two pelagic species of shark, which means that they don't get as much sort of 
fame or like you know divers you don't see them on dives very often so they don't get much love from we divers them, we've, so. we've not seen any of those sharks yeah. and so i think it was really nice to to represent them because you know even divers may not know of those species but also i think another reason we wanted to focus on the oceanic sharks was that they are also the most under threat their lifestyle being out in the open oceans they are much uh, they're much higher risk of of sort of being caught in fishing gear um and a recent mm. study uh, that was in 2021, you know, showed that there was a 71% decline in the oceanic species of sharks and rays in just 50 years, which wow. is one of the most scary stats. If you think, you know, they're losing more than 1% every single year. These, these sharks that don't get much fame, you know, they don't get the re- reputation of great whites, but then they also don't get, mm-hmm. you know, the fame through divers like nurse sharks do and reef sharks do. So they're very much sort of the whale, whale sharks, obviously. Yeah. So they're they're sort of the more unknown species but in fact they're the ones that are that are most you know threatened by fishing practices and, and human interference so we just really wanted yeah. to highlight them and get more people knowing and you know seeing them yeah we're, we're actually taking 50 percent of the profits and give that to the shark guardian from any of those oceanic pieces so if people buy a piece on our Etsy shop with that Oceanics, then we're going to donate um, a percentage to the Shark Guardian, which is a great organization that mm. Greg has been working with quite a lot. And so I actually got the Oceanics piece for my birthday as a gift, and it's hanging up on my wall right now, and it's really pretty. So I'll be posting that on the Elasmos Pod Instagram for y'all to check it out and see that you should go and buy it because not only is it beautiful, but it supports a great cause. And the study that Miriam and Greg were referring to was conducted by a group at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, and the study is called Half a Century of Global Decline in Oceanic Sharks and Rays. And this has been caused by an 18-fold increase in oceanic fishing pressure, which either targets these sharks and rays or catches them as what is known as bycatch, which is catching animals that you're not intending to catch. And even if the bycatch is released, oftentimes the animal dies because they've been so stressed out from being caught, brought aboard the boat, and thrown around on the boat, and then being tossed back into the ocean. And so if you're wondering why it's so stressful for these sharks to be caught, imagine running for your life with a big-ass hook stuck in your mouth. Now that's pretty traumatizing. So now let's hear more about their work with Shark Guardian. Yeah, yeah, I was involved with them last year when we, we had a petition going to try and ban the... There's basically a loophole in the UK government, which means you're allowed to bring in 20 kilos of shark fin into the UK. So for all you Americans out there, including myself, that don't use the metric system, 20 kilograms is equal to 44 pounds. So that is a lot of shark fins. Without even declaring it, or you know, you could just have it in your suitcase and, and there would be no questions asked. So we're... Even though shark finning is banned in the UK, you're allowed to bring in and out 20 kilos. We had a petition going late last year to, to sort of call on the government to say, look, you know, if you don't support shark finning, then why why are you still allowed to enter and or leave the country with 20 kilos of, of shark fins? So we managed to get the 100,000 signatures for that, which was, which was really, really great. And we got some big names, you know, big wildlife names sort of supporting the campaign. And so we're just waiting for the debate to actually happen in parliament but hopefully that can you know make some real legislative change which is obviously what we what we aim for 
Okay, so I have a great update on this legislation. Back in August of 2021, the UK became the first country to propose comprehensive restrictions on the shark fin trade. So shark finning is the process where sharks are caught at sea, the fins are cut off the alive shark, the fins are kept on the boat, and then the alive shark is tossed back into the ocean to die a sad death by drowning, and the fins are kept to make either shark fin soup or used for other products. And so the UK recently announced that it would ban the importation and exportation of detached shark fins as well as products containing them, which is a fantastic step in the right direction, and it's part of their plan to improve animal welfare standards both domestically and overseas. And hopefully other countries will soon follow. And Shark Guardian had a big impact on this legislation passing by raising awareness about the malpractices of shark finning. And so they were able to prove that they could use their voice and people's voices through a petition to get this shark ban into the government's eye and then see it through getting passed into law, which is really incredible and encouraging for other countries to hopefully do the same thing and for people to speak their mind to promote what they believe in. Another one of my favorite paintings that you've done is the Time is Running Out painting, where it has the hourglass, and then it has the healthy ecosystem on top, and then in the bottom, it's just a dark, grim, and scary world. I mean, it honestly, it looks like hell. So how are you able to use your artwork to convey a message or to bring people to be connected to the oceans that might not live on the coast, might be in a landlocked area, and might not have much as a, a physical connection to the water that you and I might have by living in coastal regions. Yeah. I mean, so that was actually maybe only my second piece that I did that actually had the meaning right in that piece. So when you look at it, you can barely miss the message, <laughs> I think. Um, while, you know, while you just look at a pretty picture of a shark, People might be, oh, that's a nice picture, but that's about it. Um, with this sort of piece, I really, I was really overwhelmed by how many people reshared it, how many people um, liked it, commented it, and actually sent me private messages saying that they've signed the um, the citizens' initiative. And like under those people, there were quite a few people that I know are living a very landlocked life, very not connected to the ocean, but because They've known me like from the past um, and they've seen that piece. They, I don't know, something something has changed in them that they wanted to sign it. While, you know, I've shared a lot of things before on my private channel and I've never got like the same response. And I, yeah, it just needs that, that private person that just talks to a number of other people or shares some artwork with a number of other people that, you know, reach more people and... If you know, you know, if you reach another 500 people, maybe there's one more that then can reach even more people. So it's, mm. yeah, it's just fascinating that I do feel that it does make a difference. And I did get quite a lot of messages just saying sign, sign, sign. So that mm. just felt really great. Like they like the art, but it actually has an impact, hopefully, possibly. <laughs> oh, no, it definitely is. I mean, you can see with how many responses you got. But so the Under the Sea Art Project is all revolving around the idea of a children's book, right? Yeah, it's actually funny because we started with the idea for the book before 
I was actually any good in art because <laughs> before so, you knew you were good at art. I think you've always been good at art before you knew you were good at art. <laughs> well, Craig, really, it's really true. <laughs> I didn't have a. No one had a clue when she did her first painting. We were all like, "So what? You can do this? Why have you not told us you can do this?" Like, it was shock from the, everybody who saw it. So no one had a clue. Yeah, and then I don't know. It just started, you know, when you sometimes just have. A little idea in your head, and you just say it out loud, and then you're surrounded by people that actually take you serious and say, "Well, then go and do it, and you you should do it. You should do a book. You should write a book. You should、mm-hmm. illustrate a book." And then, because it was lockdown, I was like, "You know what? I have nothing else to do. I just finished my thesis. Why not?" <laughs> so I gave it a shot, and then and then yeah, we just got so much positive feedback from it, and. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it was a combination of you know we're both so passionate about the marine world, obviously, and then with Miriam's painting, but also our our knowledge as you know instructor and marine biologist. You know, we I think the reason our our book came across a bit different to other people's is we wanted it to be apart from the actual storyline, which needed to be child friendly, but everything else we wanted to be as real as possible. So we had、mm. you know real species living in. The right places. We wouldn't have some animal that wouldn't be in a coral reef, hanging out in a coral reef, apart from the main character. But, <laughs> but that's we, the story. Yeah, and we even, you know, whenever we came up with these problems, we're like, oh no, that that animal shouldn't be there because they're not that right. We'll have to come up with a reason why that animal is now living there and not, you know, yeah. yeah we wanted to make it sort of accurate so that kids can learn about what species live where and how different species interact、yeah. with other species and things like that. So I think.、Mm. That's what sort of stood out and made our book a bit different to the generic kids' book, which is just about the story and there's weirdly coloured animals、yeah. and stuff, which which obviously works in a different way. But we really wanted to be、mm. sort of biologically as accurate as possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great twist on the traditional, like just put any animals anywhere and boom, you have a children's book. And that's got to be great for the parents too, because as they're reading, they're learning about where. Animals really live in the ocean, and like what their habitats are, who they kind of hang around, and stuff like that. So it's a great opportunity for not just the kids to learn, but also the parents. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think you know the the parents will learn a lot if they you know we've thought either we'll sell it to divers who just want their kids to know what they know, or it'll be you know the average parent who buys it, but then that parent's going to learn what a nudibranch is, or you know how what different species look like, and Yeah, we made. We actually had、uh, like an ID page at the end of the book, so so you can look at all the fish you've seen throughout the book. There's actually the the name, so you can then, if as the child gets older, you can still use the book, but you go back and you can test them on their fish ID, and and hopefully, you know, kids really fall in love with something when they when they're learning and they're like knowledgeable about it. You know, kids who learn about dinosaurs.、Yeah. It's incredible when a young child can name all these Latin names and like fifty different <laughs> dinosaurs. An adult can only name like two or three. Their their brain can absorb so much information, and they they love knowing names and being able to identify stuff. So that's why we thought we hope they've done it with dinosaurs before, but let's do it with fish and things that are actually alive today. Kids will absorb all this information, but love it and repeat it, and and then really grow to love the underwater world and and grow up to be. Marine biologists or divers <laughs> or whatever. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm currently trying to recruit my three-year-old nephew into being a marine biologist, slowly but surely. But uh, no, I do love the idea of the ID chart in the back where you can go back and kind of see what animals are, what their names are, and then you can get like other information like what they eat and what their habitats are. I, th- I think that's really cool and a really great way to learn is through, through a children's book. So why did you pick a thresher shark to be the main character? I think it doesn't get much, you know, this thresher shark doesn't get much uh, coverage. You know, they, the, everyone knows, like you said, it's either the great white, you know, the tiger shark or just like a generic shark shape, which I just, I, I can't stand it when I see a generic <laughs> shark with the wrong number of gills and, and the fin in the wrong place. I'm like, that's not an animal. But that's just me being, uh, me being me. But, um, but I think we... We loved the thresh shark because it was really identifiable with that the really long tail. It was quite a you know, quite a cute looking shark. Oh yeah, we got a sticker. <laughs> there's there's Coco. But yeah, I think it was something that was recognisable, but also not just another generic shark, one that doesn't get as much coverage, but but people can really fall in love with. And it's also just a shark that even as a diver, you know, you don't. You don't see a thresher shark normally. You have to go to specific places. Like yeah, there's a, in few the dive, there's a few dive or, sites around the world where you can mm, see thrushes. Yeah. Yeah. And you go there specifically because you know, okay, you might be able to see a thresher there. Mm. So it's, it's just this very elusive species that you're mm. really lucky when you, when you see it. So, I mean, I, I just really want to see one. <laughs> I think they're, just be- they're just beautiful as well. Yeah. The, the, the shape big of them. With, the, the big eyes, the, the rounded yeah. body. The colour is just so amazing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I think that's really cool that y'all are using a different type of shark that's, like, removed from the traditional great white, like you said, the just generic shark shape. I think it's great to have one that has the weird but identifiable long tail. That's really great to give those less common sharks a little bit more representation. So many people sort of see sharks as just this one shark. Like we said, it's either either a great white shark or it's just oh, that's a shark. You know, people don't realize that there are over 500 different species and the majority of them are less than a meter long and the majority of them are brown and things like that, you know. So mm. I think just just increasing the awareness a bit that, oh, wait, that, that doesn't look like a shark because it's, it's a bit different and, and just bringing that awareness because so many people literally only see sharks as great whites or mm-hmm. the sharks you see in sort of cartoons. So I think just... Through the, you know, this is the same with your artwork, just through bringing awareness that there are such a variety of shapes and sizes and, and shark species, again, makes people realize that it's not just this scary great white shark that they should be scared of. Mm, yeah, definitely. And how have you been able to combat the Jaws like scary shark mentality and kind of change mindsets about the perception that sharks aren't these killer man eaters? Yeah, I think for me, obviously being in the education side of it, I see a lot more of sort of the the reactions and the changes in mindsets. And it's it's funny because, you know what, it's dead easy with kids because (laughs) they already possibly love sharks. If not, as soon as you start telling them the cool facts and showing them cool footage, they they love sharks and are really interested. It's the adults that are hard to change, you know, and it's always when I do a talk at schools... You know, it's, I've, a few times I've had at the end of the talk, the teacher sort of goes, oh, I, I, you know, I, we ask for questions and loads of kids put their hands up and the teacher goes, I, I want to I wanna ask a question first, though. So 
you swam with sharks and they didn't bite you or something like that you know <laughs> they are still struggling to believe it after like me talking for an hour but it, it's much harder to get around that and like you said it, it is it's the jaws phenomenon you know it's it's incredible how powerful one film actually was and it really you know for example if you look at the number of dive certifications done by paddy it was growing and growing and growing and literally the year that jaws came out they had a huge deep drop because people were scared to get in the water that's how big it was literally it was global mm. impact so it's still affecting so many adults and we still both get the question so often oh you're diving with sharks oh but you're in a cage right you know you have to be safe you must be in a cage and it's like no you know we've not needed we've seen hundreds of sharks underwater not in a cage and never once even had a little moment where we thought they were you know coming for us or anything like that so it it takes time um and obviously education and awareness like art can really really help change perspectives because they can you know start to see sharks in a different light through you know beautiful artwork the only other time they've seen sharks is is in a photo in the front paper of a newspaper where it's a great white shark teeth out coming out of the water or or biting something you know so exposure to sharks in a different light either like i said as beautiful artwork or as a cute shark story or understanding that they're you know diving with them is definitely also big oh diving diving with them change anyone Mm. will change anyone's view on sharks because they're they're nothing like people picture them under the water it's so funny when the Mm. questions people ask you you know oh what if we see a shark what do we do (laughs) look at it it. (laughs) enjoy it (laughs) do nothing yeah exactly so yeah but bless it's just such a natural thing to be to be scared of predators which is you know fair enough there are apex predators and we need to respect them for what they are they Mm -hmm. are not puppies and we do not touch them and play them and hug them but you know compared to other incidents sharks are just (laughs) so far down below on the scale of high risks you know yeah it's just incredible but you know, even my family, even after all these years of me diving and having done research with sharks, they're still, you know, they would still prefer me to work with sea cucumbers or <laughs> seahorses or something else. You know, it's just, it's it's natural and you can't blame them for being scared. But that's why it's so great to have the tool of art or the books or, yeah. you know, your ed- educational talks and the diving just to change that idea yeah changing Mm. the image Mm -hmm. you know if you have people that don't want to do diving they don't want to spend a lot of time with the sea so they can't connect with those animals in that way so art and book writing might be just a different niche which helps a little bit Mm. yeah that's so true and so i know the world around us can be very dark and bleak but what about the future excites you what about the future gets you out of bed every morning so Definitely, I agree with you in terms of it can it can look really bleak, um, but there's there is so much positivity around and and it, one of the most encouraging things is just the amount of movement we see. You know, we're definitely moving in the right direction. We're seeing ads on mainstream TV that sort of saying look, we're doing this to become more environmentally friendly, and obviously sales for electric vehicles are going up, and and governments are starting to listen um they're not doing enough yet definitely not but there are definite steps in the right direction you know for example you know the new biden administration is looking really promising starting to make some actual real progress um hopefully 
with America making those sort of steps in the right direction, other countries will follow suit as well. Um, but I think the the most exciting bit is this: just the young generation seem to be so much more aware of this, and they are they're the driving force. And hopefully, it won't take too many more years before it really becomes an absolute powerhouse that just can't be stopped. Where governments really start to listen to to the scientists as well as the youth. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and start making really big changes. But it, it's really exciting to see so many people interested in in the environment and, and what we can do to protect it. And, you know, the, the potential is all there. It's just individuals and governments really starting to embrace a different way of life because it will have to be a different, a different lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. everything yeah. about our lifestyles at the moment have have costs and emissions and impacts so it will be about a different lifestyle it doesn't have to be a worse lifestyle we just have to start embracing the the changes and and start enjoying the other benefits we get from it like cleaner air and more green space it is it's really promising and i think you have to be um stubbornly optimistic about this sort of stuff you know there's there's no benefit getting dragged down on all the negatives of of all the destruction that's happening um, it's much more productive to to focus on the good things that are happening, focus on what you can do to change, focus on mm-hmm. how we're making an impact and really push for those changes, but in like a really optimistic way and, and continue thinking, you know, we will do this, we will make enough changes, we are going to get through this, but we need to make the changes quickly. Yeah, I agree. You have to have a very positive outlook on it or else... I mean, you'll honestly get depressed. I mean, I've thought about that a lot. And there's just so much doom and gloom that, like, times I just have to look away. Even even though it's something that matters to me, it's just so much negative feelings that are being impressed upon you through the news and stuff like that that I just needed to get away because, I mean, honestly, I was getting depressed about it. So I agree, you have to be very, very positive about it, but also make an effort. Now, do you two have any future goals either for yourself personally or professionally in the field of marine science? A life with the sea. Mm. So we definitely are working on, you know, being able to both work with the sea in the same place or same area at least, um, Mm. which is obviously not easy at the moment with COVID. Yeah, so I think just staying optimistic and looking forward to being back in the ocean, doing science and doing what we love and yeah i think continuing the kind of stuff we're doing conservation and and sort of advocacy and awareness hopefully in an environment where we are yeah in the ocean surrounded by like-minded people able to make influences and changes and and also directly help conservation wherever we live as well that's awesome that sounds very similar to my goals so i love that too (laughs) now i have to ask do y'all have a favorite animal oceanic manta ray Definitely easy for you. Definitely easy for me because it's the reason why I wanted to study marine biology. I Mm. saw it and I was like, oh my God, that is the most amazing animal in the whole (laughs) wide world. They are just, they're just just amazing. It was one of my first dives also in Tofu, Mozambique. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I was, I was just a beginner. I just did my advance. Maybe I had like 10, 15 dives and yeah, we just came down on this reef and before I was even down on it, so I was still quite high up in the, in the surface water. Um, I just heard this rattling from one of the dive guides and 
I just saw from 30 meters above, I just saw this manta ray just gliding over the reef. It is like in all the documentaries, it is like in the movies, they are just absolutely beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, so many marine biologists have the favorite animal is the manta ray. And I'm always like, yeah, you want to be special. You want to pick one that isn't, you know, (laughs) that not a lot of other people pick. But I'm like, I can't help it. They are just the most amazing animals. (laughs) That's a good choice. You know, you can't go wrong with the manta ray. (laughs) I agree. All right, Greg, what about you? You got a favorite animal? Mine's a hard one. You know, I love seeing any sharks and manta rays as well. But I think after we, we dived with blue sharks off Cornwall, so off the UK coast, mm-hmm. uh, last summer. And I think they've, they've taken the top spot for me because they're just so interested and inquisitive animals. They really are. I know we said they're not puppies and you don't cuddle them like puppies, yeah, but they are. But, but they, they genuinely <laughs> act like puppies. They're just so interested oh. in you and they come up and they just want to check you out, but then they go away again. They come back. You know, and they're just so interactive compared to other sharks. Other sharks will either hang around near you, maybe, if they think there might be a chance of grabbing a bit of food or something like that, or, or they'll swim away from you where, where blues are just so interested in you. It's such a nice encounter with them to just have them come past and just come in and then turn away. So blues have to be my favorite because they're just so cool. Check out my video on YouTube because you'll, you'll see how really inquisitive and, and interested they are. Really cool. Okay, this YouTube video is so cool. These sharks are really, I mean, again, maybe not cuddle sharks like I really want to, but these sharks really are like dogs. They're like, they're so curious and they were they were just bumping up against them when they were snorkeling. So go check it out. It's called Snorkeling with Blue Sharks in the UK at Gend Under the Sea on YouTube. I'll post a link in the show notes as well, but it's so cool. You should check it out. And if this doesn't make you want to go snorkeling or diving, I don't know what will. But yeah, it's just crazy. And I really want to swim with these guys now. But now I want to find out what animal Miriam and Greg would want to be now that I know what their favorite animals are. I think I would be an orca because Hmm. you sort of, you don't have to stress because there's no other predators really that, you know, are going to chase you. True. But also you have your family around, you have your friends around. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I'd be an orca. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I would have so said orca as well, but I can't take yours now. Oh, you can uh, be orca. We can be orcas together. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say maybe octopus. Octopus is pretty cool. Like, oh, imagine, yeah, imagine yeah. just being able to completely change shape, that change so color, true. have yes. eight arms. Imagine the amount you get done with eight arms. <laughs> so um, yeah, and they're just fascinating animals. They're I think they're one of the most underrated animals on the planet. You know, they're yeah, just they're so, so capable. They're still on of my list things. to paint as well. Yeah, they're hard to paint. Yeah, mm. I think I think it's quite <laughs> telling. I think as well that neither of us have picked. A shark. A shark, yeah. I think that's mm. quite telling to show because, like, I think neither of us picked a shark because of the the threat. I think we both looked really realistically at it and was like, "Oh well, thro- sharks, you know, it's, it's dangerous life because so many are being killed at the moment." Yeah. So I think it's quite telling that neither of us yeah. would choose to be a shark because yeah. of the risks there. Mm. Even though we both love to be sharks, but it's not worth the risk. Well, thank you both for volunteering your time to come speak with me on this podcast. It was great to learn more about your project and what you're doing and hope to do and meet you in this great Zoom world that we've come to know and love during COVID. But yeah, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you thank for you inviting so much us. For yeah. having us. So that was the wonderful and fantastic Miriam and Greg with Under the Sea Art. 
And their Etsy shop is under the sea art shop, no spaces on Etsy.com. And you can find them on Instagram at under.the.c.art. And Miriam is on Instagram at Miri, that's M-I-R-I, under the C. And Greg is at Ginge, G-I-N-G-E, under the C, on Instagram and YouTube. And so like I promised at the beginning of the episode, Miriam and Greg have offered an incredible surprise gift to those that rate and review this podcast. Like we talked about, your voice matters and can actually make a difference. By rating and reviewing this podcast, you help it gain traction and great notoriety to encourage more people to chat with me about the most amazing animals on the planet, which are obviously sharks, not sea turtles. I don't care what they say. So all you have to do is rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on and email me your rating and review to elasmospod at gmail.com. That's E-L-A-S-M-O-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. Then you will be entered into a raffle to win something cool and probably artsy from Miriam and Greg. And you can follow the Elasmos podcast on Instagram and Twitter at elasmospod. That's E-L-A-S-M-O-S-P-O-D. And you can email us at elasmospod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page called The Elasmos Podcast, A Shark's Universe. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash elasmospod. And it really means a lot that you show your support through giving. It helps me be able to spend more time getting world-class research and knowledge straight to you. So that's, again, patreon.com slash elasmospod. Thank you so much for all your support. And you can find me on Instagram at smcneely4335. That's S-M-C-N-E-E-L-Y 4335. And my brother and I are currently working on getting a website up and hopefully a YouTube channel as another platform for people to listen. So again, please, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash elasmospod. It really means a lot and just gives that extra support that I need to keep going through this and to give you the best information possible. And also, please remember to rate and review this podcast because you can not only win a great prize from Miriam and Greg, but you can also get more information out to your lovely ears. And as a bonus, if you've already rated and reviewed this podcast, then you can share this podcast on social media and you'll get an extra two entries into that week's drawing. So please rate, review, and share. Thank you again so, so much. You have no idea how much it means to me. So I also want to give a big shout out to Connor Blake and Wes McNeely for making the amazing theme song. I love it. It's so good. And Wes can be found on Instagram at wes.mcneely1 and on YouTube at Wes McNeely. And at the end of each episode, I want to kind of give just like a little bit of either life update or just something fun that I've done this week just for you to learn more about me. And so I've been listening to this one podcast called And That's Why We Drink, and it's a paranormal and true crime podcast. And there's this one that they talk about a haunted hotel, and there's a YouTube video that goes along with it. And the YouTube video is called Ghost Screaming in Haunted Hotel dash full length. And it's nuts. I just watched it again. And oh my God, I can't even tell you how my body just froze just watching it. There's a guy going into the hotel room and he's obviously freaked out. And 
I, just watching it, I got chills up and down my body to the point that my eyes started watering and I thought I was going to start crying out of fright. It was crazy. You should definitely go watch it. It will, I don't know about lighten your day, but it will definitely make it more interesting and keep you on your toes. Anyways, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. Please follow us, rate us, review us, give at Patreon, all of those good things, and we'll see you next week for episode two. Later, skaters. Later, skaters.